0: Welcome to season three of created for connection, a podcast that explores the ways we become disconnected in life, but how God can bring us back to connection with himself and others. In today's episode, we interview Beverly Ross. We talk about grief, lament, and what it means to be blessed for everyone listening, we're glad you're here.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Here we are for the season three kickoff. Uh, Excited to be here. Paul, how's it going,
0: man? Hey, Kevin. It's great to be back. I'm so excited.
1: Me too. What what has been going on with you guys since we last spoke? Yeah, we've had like a three month break
0: in from the podcasting world and we've spent the last month just being sick with COVID and strep throat and other (laughs) joyful maladies. Oh man. You've been, you guys have been sick for a month. It's not that we've been consistently sick for a month, but we passed. So I have a family of four. We literally passed COVID between the four of us for over a period of about three weeks. First time I've had it. And I was like, when my kids have had it in the past, it'll last for, it'll feel sick for like two hours and then they're better. So I was thinking, okay, I I started to have symptoms like, all right, maybe this will be like 12 hours and I'll be okay. And uh, I was down and out for like three days and just felt bad, didn't want to do anything and then needed recovery time. I'm still like coughing and having issues weeks afterwards. So Oh my goodness. Did you lose weight too? You look, you look skinnier. (laughs) Thank you. I did. (laughs) I did lose weight. So (laughs) podcast listeners, the joke is that, um, the on the tail end of feeling, uh, of having it, I actually was on a call with Kevin for another purpose. And, uh, I, I had not eaten anything for five or six days. And so I, I knew he was going to say something. And I was like, Kevin, please don't make fun of me. And he still commented on like how, <laughs> how thin I looked. And you still look thin today. Well, thank you. Thank I'm you. just jealous. That's all it is. Just jealousy. Well, if you combine COVID with uh, trying to lay off ice cream a little bit more, you know, it, it's a good combination. Yeah, yeah that's great. I should, maybe I
1: should get COVID.
0: Oh gosh. So tell me what, what's been happening with you actually. Okay. So this is season three. Mm -hmm. It seems like, you know, every season or maybe, uh, two or three times a season, you switch hobbies of what, what you're involved with in a Mm. major way in your life. And so have you been finding more trash to sell to people? Any more wild animals, uh, ended up in your home as a pet? What's been going on?
1: Well, you know, I, I would not say that I change every season, but I may or may not have a new venture that I'm, that I'm working on. I did, I did find a couple more pieces of trash that I turned into treasure, right? So I found an air compressor on the side of the road that I sold for $125 and a Traeger smoker, which they both came from the same house, by the way uh Traeger smoker that still work you you found these or did you take them I did not steal them okay they were they were legitimately on the side of the road for for anyone else's pickup so sold both of those for over a hundred dollars a piece congrats Yeah. yeah so um my new venture is I know a guy who has all these ratchet straps that he gets for really cheap. And I'm trying to figure out a place to sell these industrial size ratchet straps. And I mean, this, this could be big, this could be bigger than trash, right? <laughs> this could be
0: bigger than trash. It could. Is there, it, is there a market out there for ratchet straps? Like well, an
1: eBay, eBay market? I, I don't, you know, you got to package them up and stuff and, and, and find some, some distributor to buy them from you. So, you know, I've been trying, I've been getting on some trucking forums and, you know, asking people there and stuff, but, you know, I'm hoping that maybe by bringing it up, some of our listeners will give me some ideas about where we could sell these ratchet straps. Maybe we even have a listener who could use them themselves. So Okay, so if you're a listener, you want ratchet
0: straps, you want to pay Kevin for said straps, please contact us. And by the way, um, you know, you you had that hobby uh, a few months ago with making coffee, and you were going to make some and send it to me. I signed up for that. I haven't gotten any coffee yet. I don't know what you're talking about. Let's (laughs) move on.
1: Okay, let's move on. Let well, who is we our have a guest here? We have a guest yes. here that we need to introduce. We're we're wasting time. Let's not talk about my hobbies. Okay, well, please, Kevin, please do the honors. Yes. Okay. So we have with us today Beverly Ross, which if if people will remember, the season two opener was with Josh Ross, who is a preacher at uh, Sycamore View Church of Christ here in Memphis Tennessee and after that interview Josh said hey guys you got to get my mom on here she is she is awesome and she has a story that I think uh will fit right in with the theme of your podcast so we we started working to um build season three and Beverly was at the top of the list and so Beverly is here with us today
2: I love when Josh says sweet things about me and I love invitations like this just to get to talk about life. I'm the founder and executive director for Wise County Christian Counseling. We're a nonprofit counseling group. I'm also a therapist. I do counseling and I'm a supervisor of therapists. So I teach therapists how, how to be therapist and, um, love my job. There's not a day I don't wake up and I'm excited to be here, uh, I've learned a lot in my own life how to do some things. So in a lot of my counseling sessions now, I'm able to look eye to eye and say, "Me too, me too." I've had some hard things too.
1: Yeah, and we're we're definitely going to dive into some of that today. And you've also written a couple books, is that right?
2: One. I've written one book. One book. One book. Yeah. Besides well, that's all- one
1: book. That that's one book more than me and Paul. So, what's the name of that book, Beverly? It's called Scarred Hope. Scarred Hope. Okay, mm-hmm. and I think some of what we're talking about today is gonna has, was part of that book and yes. part of some of the things you've experienced. So,
0: yeah, and I would encourage people that are listening to this episode today to go back to season two, uh, episode one, where we interviewed Josh and hear just his version of that story. And he talks a lot about grief, and I think. Today's conversation is going to be different, but there's probably a lot that that will enrich your experience to hear both of those stories.
2: Mm-hmm. I will add right there: we've just celebrated the second anniversary of Scarred Hope being birthed, and with that, we've discounted it greatly on Amazon. So today's the day if you want to buy a copy of Scarred Hope, go on Amazon; it, it's cheaper than it's been.
1: That's, That's awesome. Cool. We need to we need to go uh, get our copies today. So. Yeah. Beverly, why don't you, why don't you just for a minute, talk a little bit about your story and starting, cause specifically we're talking about grief, you know, and, and some suffering as well, along with that. And so we know that a lot of our listeners have experienced, uh, some type of grief or suffering, and we want to speak to that. And I think your story really does shed a lot of light on what it's like to to walk that journey. So um, do you mind just kind of uh, starting with a little bit about your grief journey and and then talking about some of the things you've experienced also in the last couple of years?
2: Absolutely, I'll do that. The subtitle to the book, I think, speaks it well. It says, A Mother and Son Learn to Carry Grief and Live with Joy. Uh, In 2010, February 2010, my only daughter, my firstborn, Josh's older sister, uh, became very ill on February 4th. February 1st, she went to the doctor. She was diagnosed with the flu, which was epidemic at the time in DFW area. Uh, She didn't get better on Tuesday. That was a Monday afternoon. Didn't get better on Wednesday. Thursday morning, I woke up with a text from my son-in-law saying they were sitting in a doctor's parking lot. Uh, waiting to get Jenny in. She, they told her she was dehydrated, needs to go to the hospital. We met her there and she was immediately uh, put into isolation and intensive care. Not sure what was going on. Within just a few hours, we found out she did not have the flu at all. She had group A strep that had gone without, without an antibiotic. And it was like, as uh, one friend put it, cancer on steroids. She was very, very ill, full septic shock, organ failure. 31 years old, strong, boot camp girl, um, vibrant personality. We fought for life for 19 days. I did not leave the hospital area. Good friends got us a hotel room right beside the hospital to be with her. They amputated her legs. We did everything to fight for life. On February 20, a seizure started, we woke up with a phone call from our nurse crying to tell us about seizures. And on February 22nd, we stood around Jenny's bed as our belief system would be the angel swooped in and took Jenny to see the face of Jesus. And we walked out of that hospital to go tell a nine-year-old little girl that her mommy was gone. I knew a lot about grief already. I'd already taught grief workshops. My best friend had died when I was late 30s. I knew grief. I'd even taught grief workshops in Africa. I know grief. But walking out of the hospital that day, I just remember saying repetitively, and I don't think with voice, I think it was just in my own spirit. So I didn't know it felt like this. I didn't know it felt like this. And then my life just began to unfold uh, a whole new journey, a whole new depth. And I love the language of the subtitle with we're learning to live with grief, because I don't believe that our, our want is to be healed from it. I don't believe that's reality. I believe we're he- healing. I think it's a process. But I think what we're really doing is learning to carry pain. And fortunately, oh my, fortunately, the Holy Spirit gives us the spiritual and emotional muscle to learn to carry pain. Mm-hmm. When we discipline our hearts and discipline ourselves. So Josh, in 2018, rolling forward, uh, beginning of September, I had a cancer diagnosis. And that diagnosis is what we call my baby cancer. I had a small little surgery, a lumpectomy. I did five days of radiation. Really, it was easy. And so Scarred Hope, the first line of Scarred Hope is, Josh, I have cancer. Mm. Because with that, he called me and said, Mom, I want you to write with me. Would you pray about it? And I said, I can already say yes, because I've been praying about it. I've been praying about writing the story, but I just didn't know how to start. And Josh had already written several books. So he was a good guide for me uh, to do that. And then the book finished, which was really hard for me, Josh. We were in Memphis and Josh said, mom, you just got to land the plane, close the computer, land the plane. And so I was like, okay, okay, we're done. We're done. But, you know, the story still get continues as we're living this out. Um, the book came out on. Go ahead.
0: Oh, I I, uh, I love hearing about your your book with Josh, because I remember him talking about it. And I just love that y'all wrote a book together. I think mm-hmm. that's fantastic. I, I, and so you were right in the middle of the story. But I just wanted to stop you for just a second, because as you were telling the story about your daughter. And I know that you have shared this story multiple times and you've written about it. And it's in some ways, you know, this is a story that I think you, you know how to share, but I also see a lot of passion in you now. And I just wanted, before you got into this next part of your story, I wanted to ask, you know, what is it like even now recounting what it felt like to be in that place? Uh, over 10 years ago, and you mentioned that grief is a process. So but before we get to this, to kind of this second part of your story, I just wanted to say, what is what is that like for you now, even talking about it?
2: I can't tell you how much it means to me that you've asked me that. Because um, what you've done is acknowledge the ongoing pain of a brokenhearted mom, mm-hmm. that even though I have learned to carry joy with grief, Thank you for acknowledging that the grief is still there. Now, every time, and as you were praying, Paul, before we went live this morning, I even prayed again, God, I give myself permission to be where I am. Because I never know when I'm telling this story if my voice is going to crack. I never know if my throat's going to close. And I give myself permission to show up whatever it's going to do. So sometimes I just tell it and go. And sometimes I have to stop and reflect. You may have noticed I had to stop, I think three times in the middle of when I was saying it to you just then and just get a breath. Just get a breath to calm my own spirit. I never know what it's going to be like and I give myself permission to be where I am. I'm not I'm not a girl anymore that feels like I just have to be strong to tell the story. Mm. Thank
0: you so much for sharing that.
1: You know, I... As as you were sharing, I was thinking, we were not created to live in a world with loss. Mm-hmm. We we just ended up in a world with loss, yes. you know. And so, like our the way our emotional systems were designed, were not designed to handle losing people that we're so intimately connected to. I think the spirit has to then come in and and reform us and reshape us to learn to live alongside it. But when you said. We have to learn to live alongside loss. Uh, if that light bulb went off, that yeah, we we do because we don't know what it we don't know how to handle that. Truly, it 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 really is something that takes us to a different place that we're not equipped for ever. And and so the loss of a child, also from what I hear, is is a is a grief that that no one should ever experience in life. And so, you know, I was feeling that with you, as you were telling the story, you know, I was connecting with that, just thinking about my own children. And, you know, so I think we skip over, we just kind of, when somebody tells a story, we just kind of have a tendency to move through as it, thinking about it as a story, but this is your life. These are your experiences. So Anyways, thank you for sharing what you have so far. And I'm interested in hearing the next part of the story. Paul, were you going to say something?
0: No, I was just going to, I was going to ask, you said that on the day, it, it, it was the day that your book came out and that was when you told Josh that you had, or did Josh know at that point that you had been diagnosed with cancer? No.
2: Not, not the second time. Oh, not the second time. This is it the first time, right. Okay. Um, I want to add this just as a tale. I'm not sure why I do, but maybe a listener needs to hear this. As soon as I can even begin to be okay that my daughter died, I will never be okay that my granddaughter grew up without a mommy. I think grief by itself brings up so much, oh, as you just spoke, Kevin, so beautifully so much confusion and anxiety and fear. C.S. Lewis said, I had no idea if grief felt so much like fear. I get that. But you see grieving children and that takes it to a whole new level. I spent Tuesday of this week with a small part of our community, Paradise is the name of this little community outside of where I live. And there'd been a second grader killed over the weekend in a tragic accident at a party that a huge amount of these children in this small community, they were there and they saw the accident. And so showing up and walking beside grieving children, that ups the ante, that is hard. We just want, we have to pray that the spirit will give these children exactly what they need. And we have to give ourselves permission to show up beside them knowing there's no right answer. It can't be taught. I can say one thing to Kevin and he's like, oh, that's oil for my soul. I could say the next thing to you and go, oh, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. In grief, we've got to stay ready to read people's expressions. What came up for you when I said that? What happened with that? Just in order to journey beside people. I know I'm getting way ahead of where we wanted to be, but I think this is important that we know in the grief journey, there's a lot of confusion. It's just confusing. And we've got to allow the spirit to comfort us in our own confusion. And so as Scarred Hope was being birthed, I'm in a hotel room in Austin. Now reminder, it's birthed during COVID, September of 2020. Not the most genius time to birth a book, but who knew, who knew COVID was gonna happen and who knew how long it was gonna last? So I'm in Austin doing a podcast. Josh had flown in to be with me, doing a podcast with one of his best friends. And I touched my chest and I found another knot. I hate the word lump, so we're going to call it a knot, and I was like, oh no, can't be. I didn't want to tell my husband on the phone, and so we just waited, so three minutes before the book came out, I found a knot, so the book was absolutely birthed during my own confusion and wondering and the beginning of what was not a baby cancer. It was, I mean, I'm just now really a month ago can say recovered. I've had three clear scans now. I'm doing well, but there were two years of some hard confusion and uh, lots of wondering, am I going to be able to live out what I wrote in this book?
1: Yeah, so just to clarify, you're saying that you, this, this second not that you found the day of releasing the book yes started off another cancer journey for you that was much more taxing than what you called the baby cancer journey early on
2: sick surgeries chemo radiation all the things yes
1: and can you talk about you know so I'm This was my initial gut reaction internally when I heard that. I I think I would be feeling something along the lines of haven't I haven't I experienced enough? I've got to go through this too. You know, like I've been through so much, you know, and maybe that's not what you what you experienced, but I that that part just hits me like you had already been through so many things. And now you've got this cancer journey ahead of you. What was that like?
2: I think other people felt that for me. I don't know that I allowed my head to go there. I uh, pretty quickly adopted the phrase peaceful warrior. And when you tell me something to do, I buckle down and I'm gonna do it. Three months, September, October, November, really September, October were filled with confusion they thought they found one spot, then I had more, I had surgery, they did more tests and found multiple spots, all still contained, I'm not, it did not masticize anywhere, somebody will want to know that, did not masticize, but the confusion and the wondering of what was about to happen, um, and knowing the pain that could be about to come on my family was very difficult, uh, I think, as you said, we are so hardwired by God for life that everything in us fights for life. And I wasn't sure really for those two months, September, October, while those testing, testings were happening, I wasn't sure if I was uh, facing my own death. And so trying to come to conclusion with that, I just buckled down and did it. Now, I uh, had so much anxiety until we knew what was happening. And then I adopted peaceful warrior. Did that make sense? Give me feedback. Absolutely. I,
1: I want to hear more about the, um, the anxiety that you were experiencing until you had a plan. What was, cause I, you know, that may be something that others who faced a cancer journey in the spaces of the unknown where anxiety has its, has its day. What is that like?
2: You know, what I found is it does not have to be the like event. It is a like emotion. Now, as I sit with people wondering if their spouse is about to leave or I've done the best I know how to do with my children and they're not talking to me because of COVID, maybe we're about to have to face bankruptcy. I mean, lots of us, if not all of us face some moments in life. We don't know what's about to happen. And I think when this anxiety begins to rise up, we absolutely have to discipline our thoughts. We have to allow the Lord to take them captive. We have to come to the conclusion all over again of what are you going to do even if. I remember early, early on doing a podcast. Josh and I were doing a podcast with a woman from Los Angeles. And she turned to page 57 of our book. And she said, let me read you some things. Beverly, I think that you wrote this and I'd love to know your thoughts on it. Now, all we knew at this point is I had cancer, but we didn't know where it was. Are you okay if I read to you for just a minute? I'm gonna read for just a second. It said, this is me speaking. I stood up and I pointed my face to the sky And I ask, this is me in a prayer wondering after so many people had said, you just need to trust God, just trust God, just trust God. This is is not about cancer. This is about Jenny dying. And me saying, I do trust him. I do trust him. But all of a sudden, prayer, there was this looming question. And I thought, God, if I cannot ask you this question, I may never speak to you again. This question is between you and me. I've got to ask this. God, you know I love you. You know I wanna be respectful to you. I want to trust you, but for what, Lord? What exactly can I trust you for? I need to know the answer to that. And the Lord spoke to me. People asked me if it was a male voice. It wasn't, but it was a settling of my soul. He said, oh, my child, you will trust me to be who I said I am. I'm always true to my character. In his names, we find his character. He is the creator, he is the Lord of Lords, he is the great reward. He is the one who sees the pain. He is the provider, he's the one who heals. But here's the twist. Because of my desire to trust him, I had to reject some of the language I've heard it in an attempt to package death up in a neat bow. We do not trust the Lord that everything will work out the way we want, that we will get our way. We live in a fallen world. Jesus said the power of darkness is the prince of this world. He is the one in charge of death. Not one of the apostles would have understood our language about following the Lord to get our way throughout life. Suffering cannot stop us. Our language must lead us to protect our no matter what kind of faith. So trust him for what? We trust him to surround us. We trust him to see us and to hear us. We trust him to give us, oh, this is so important. Listen to this. We trust him to give us exactly what we need to walk the path we've been called to walk. We trust him to use our stories for his purposes. Trusting God is essential to our direction. And I remember as she read that, and I, just like on the screen right now, we're all on Zoom, we all, and I was staring at Josh. I was looking at Josh's eyes because I, how am I going to speak after this? Because I was asking all over again, God trusts you for what? Your presence is in this room. I know you're in front of me. I know you're around me, but I have no clue what's about to happen. Just going to trust you in the journey. But it was a huge turning point for me to refocus all over again what we had just written.
0: There's so much in what you just read and described that was so good and important that I just kind of want to sit with. I want what i'm curious about is you said you were fa- you were faced with that same question again how do i trust you in this place what was different for you about the grief of losing jenny and then the grief of your own pain in that moment what what are some were there distinctions were there it sounds like there are some similarities because you're still saying, how do I trust you when, when this has happened? This un, the unknown is facing me when death is facing me. Um, how is it different to go through those two different types of pain and grief?
2: I am going to speak into that, but I also want to tell you that when you wrote me that question, it really made curiosity overwhelm me. I'm going to do some writing on that question. I've got to journal that question and be with it a little more. My very first answer when I read that, when you sent the question is with Jenny's death, it was functioning from a place of the end. As Job would say, the worst of my fears has come true. And so it was learning to live after I already knew the outcome. Mm. And with my cancer, it was facing the uncertainty. No, Jenny's death brought up all kinds of uncertainty. Don't misunderstand. But this was I didn't know the outcome. I didn't know what was about. And you know, I remember a long, long time ago asking God telling him, "I'm at such a point right now. This is way before This is five years before Jenny died of I'd gone to lunch with a friend that began to ask me questions. And there's two things I don't want to be known for in my life. I'll just tell you that up front. I don't want to be boring. And I don't want to be known as a pessimist. I just don't want people to say that about me. And so at lunch one day, she kept, she was another therapist. When you're in, when you're a counselor, you're in counseling all the time. It's just usually over chips and salsa or olive garden breadsticks. She was firing questions at me. And I realized the answer to every question because we were in a transition in life was, I don't know. Is Rick going to stay in preaching? I don't know. Where are you going to work? I don't know. I don't know. And I realized, oh my, I'm being boring here. So I started saying, I don't really know. Well, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I'm mean, just trying to change up the answer. And I excused myself because I did feel my throat begin to clamp. I went to my car and I asked the Lord, God, I've just been over an hour coming face to face with everything. I don't know. And then I realized most of us just get to pretend like we know things anyway. The only things that I know in my life are that God will be God, no matter what my story is. I'm going to see his face. And I have a close circle of family and friends who will journey beside me till I get there. That's all I know. And so all over again in the cancer dream, I don't know. I mean, no, let's be honest here. COVID brought up a lot of I don't know's for us too. You know, I don't know. I don't, when's it going to be over? I don't know. We have to wear these masks. Yes, I don't know. You know, it was just, ah. and so lots of I don't know's. But so the Jenny's was from a place of finality and figuring out how to walk out that. And the cancer journey was from a place of I didn't know the end. We didn't know the end of the story. And so all I know to do is be faithful continuing today to walk this out the way I am.
1: That's so well said. You know, I find myself just sitting here going, "I just want you to say more. <laughs> I just want you to talk more about so many different things. But and I think when when you experience that, it's because somebody has has wisdom from an experience or multiple experiences rather than just like, this is head knowledge that I've learned. You know, I think, and I think that's an important thing to say. I could probably say similar words to somebody who's going through grief, but if I haven't experienced the level of loss and saying that, it just doesn't mean the same thing, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's what I'm sitting here going, wow, these are such powerful words. One thing that stands out to me is this idea of, learning to trust him in the midst of the chaos in the midst of the craziness and that that's never settled truly, you know, like Peter getting out on the sea, walking towards Jesus, you know, he was safer there than he was on the boat. He just in the middle of it, forgot that, you know? And, and so I think, you know, in the, in the midst of all the chaos that was swirling around you, I hear you talking about, there were moments where I could walk on the water and there were moments where I would sink. And there were moments where I'd stand back up on the water and there are moments that I would sink. And I don't think that that's ever really done. You know, it's just a process of learning to trust that more and more each time, but there's no bow to put on it. You know, it's not like, oh, I've been through this journey with Jenny. I've been through cancer once. I find another, another mass or, you know, um, and I'm like, oh, I'm all, everything's fine now. We're all good. I know exactly what to do. I know exactly how to feel that we continue to get hit with things. And it's not about how, it's not about how our emotional system responds initially. It's about where God takes us in the journey as we as we try to move towards him. And we just keep trying. And that's the purpose. That's the point. I love that. I love that that comes out in your story. So I'm curious, um, because, you know, my wife and I, we, um, we had a miscarriage with our first child. And that was that was a, a pretty tough loss for us and not not in any way comparing it to other losses just knowing that that was a grief journey for us and i remember people saying things that were just not the right thing to say i remember people doing things that were not the right things to do for some reason in grief when people do that kind of stuff you just want to be totally disconnected from them so i'm interested in how did your grief journey you, how do you find that it disconnected you from some of the people in your life?
2: That's a powerful question. I uh, really have thought a lot about that because it did. Mike Cope, who is a uh, preacher friend of ours from Abilene at the time, called my husband in between Jenny's death and her funeral. And he said, there's a couple things you need to know. Mike and Diane, his wife had buried a little girl and a couple of things you need to know before the funeral. Number one, don't ever change your bio. You will always have three children. Number two, people are going to say some really stupid stuff, but they're going to be giving you the very best they've got. Cover them with grace and mercy. Now, every time I say that, I, I do this grace and mercy, grace and mercy. Grace and, I think I'm picturing myself under Niagara Falls, and I'm, it's so loud, their words can't get into me but I've learned to even do it with myself. Grace and mercy, Beverly, receive grace and mercy. You just misspoke that. You didn't handle that well, grace and mercy. I've also learned that sometimes I have to be brutally honest and say, how is that helpful to me? That's not helpful. Or I will say, "That's, that's not my belief system. I don't believe that to be true. Somebody will say, God just needed another angel in his choir. Jenny was a singer. How's that helpful to me? God needs nothing. God is God. If God needed another angel, he could make an angel. He did not have to take my little granddaughter's mommy. No, don't say that to her. But it's these religious cliches that have been so, people want to speak something. It's what was said to them. It's what they heard their mama say, their grandmother say, you know, somebody said and it sounded, kind of nice and deep at the time but it's not helpful for people walking this out not people listen this is this is the important part not people fighting for faith we can't make God look like a monster God is not a murderer he does he did not kill Jenny and so it's coming in and, and seeing his joy his peace his kindness his love to us in the midst of the chaos and the darkness. He tells us there's gonna be a day coming. And so for me, direction is everything. It's finding people who will point my face toward him, who will speak words to point me toward him. Disconnection, I have known people that have become a hermit when they get stuck in grief, and I don't think that's helpful at all. We are hardwired by God for connection. And somewhere, whether that's in counseling, whether it's in grief share, the number one thing that people who've been in grief say helped them is a grief group, being with other grievers. Now, I do want to speak this, and I want to say this with all respect, but, but definitely compassion, but definitely clarity. In America, we compare everything. And I'm, I'm just using America. and maybe like that in the whole world. I'm just using America because that's where I live. I'm in cars, hair, diamond size, shoes, houses. We compare stuff. Kids, we compare stuff. We even compare suffering. And that is not helpful for anyone. For people to say, I'm grieving the death of my grandmother, but oh, you buried a child. I can't even talk to you about my grief because you've gone through the worst How's that helpful for either one of us to isolate from each other? No, we're walking together through this. We're figuring this out. My arm's around you, your arm's around me. We're walking to see the face of Jesus together. It's not like you just have to get with your people. I mean, I think there's just pain in our world and we've just got to figure out how to be Holy Spirit-filled enough to speak words of hope.
0: Beverly, I think, that there's been some time on this podcast where Kevin and I have talked about how our impression is that the church, at least in America, or at least in the churches or in our experience has not done a great job equipping people for the reality of suffering and pain as you've discussed, as you've described. And in either we foist some things on God that shouldn't be on God or we imagine walking with Jesus should lead us into a blissful existence where everything feels peaceful and good and hashtag in quotes blessed. And I know that you have got a few um, words like that or thoughts or concepts that are, are found often among Christians, among believers that you, I don't know if you've had to reframe them in your own life, that you had kind of this one concept, and then your experience said, no, this is, this is truer, or if that's just something that you, that you have, have known for even beyond that, but what are some of those areas that you feel like need some corrective in the church, some ideas, and maybe that are attached to uh, suffering or going through pain that you feel like we, we need to reshape or reframe?
2: We address three of those in the book. One I've already talked about, and it's the word trust. I don't trust God that I'm going to get my way. I don't trust God that my cancer is going to be gone forever. And that's not what I'm going to die of. I'm 65 years old. I'm going to die from something. The death rate is hundred percent. So I don't trust God that my cancer is not coming back. I trust him that even if I do, he's going to give me the exact measure of peace and of joy and of love and of kindness I need till I take my very last breath. And I think that's a deeper water of trusting God than we sometimes address from pulpits and in conversations with people we live life with. The other one is the one you talk about and I want you guys to raise your hand if I talk about this for too long, because I can go on and on about this one. When Jenny went into the hospital, I had on a necklace similar to the one I have on now. I wear this one all the time. This one says hope. But the one I had on then was a round pendant that said blessed. I'm not a jewelry girl. I wear jewelry, but I wear the same jewelry every day. And I wore that necklace every day. I I love the verses that tell us that we are blessed with God's love, with his favor, with his presence. About three or four days after Jenny was in the hospital, very beginning of our journey with her being ill, uh, one of her best friends gave me a picture of her to wear. So I took off the blessed pendant and I put on this picture of Jenny. I had no idea what was going on in my spirit, but I couldn't put that blessed pendant back on. I just couldn't change it out after she died. About 18 months, I would carry it with me and I would try to, and I was taking it off. And just like I said earlier, it brought up so much curiosity for me. What's up with this? What's up with this? And then it hit me that frequently in our culture, when we talk about being blessed by God, it's when we did get our way. It's when from pulpits on Sunday morning, let me give you an example. Let's just say there's a family at your church whose mother, we all been praying for this sick daughter. Lots of people have been praying for, and this mother drives up under the hospital uh, awning to pick up her daughter. There's balloons, there's cards, everybody's so, and on Sunday morning of that week, somebody gets up and says, man, Sister Smith was so blessed. The Lord heard the cries of our hearts, and the Lord blessed her. She got to bring her daughter home. Man, is the Lord not good? God is good in the congregation all the time. You know, we do all that stuff. And then there's me. I didn't pull up under an awning to pick up my daughter. Am I blessed? When we associate the word blessed with God's muchness of giftings, the bigger house, the bigger promotion, more money, more, whatever, more, much, much, much. When we pray for something and we get it, we go, oh, the Lord blessed us but listen to this verse in Ephesians one, three praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing through Christ. Yes, I'm blessed. Not because of Jenny's death, but he did bless me through her death. He gave me his love. His favor was still on me, even though my heart was broken. And his presence, listen to this clearly. Somebody needs to hear this today. Some somebody needs to hear this today. The Lord's presence does not hinge on if you feel him. I was at a church one time, uh, and I'm not picking on your church. If this happens at your church, I'm not picking on your church. Where someone got up that morning, it's usually the guy that leads singing, the worship minister, and says, "Come on, church, don't you just feel the presence of the Lord in the room today?" And I've been sat there going, "No, not so much. I don't feel it, but I know He's here. Mm. I know He's here. Whether I feel Him or I don't, I'm breathing Him in. Our job is not to feel Him. Our job is to know Him, to know He's there. My feelings will follow my knowing it. Maybe not quickly." Maybe not quickly, but I have to know it in order to be transformed into him. And so I think the word blessed, we are blessed with his presence. That even in anxiety, maybe especially in anxiety. I said earlier, I think I'm just going to go ahead and say this right here. I said earlier about me becoming peaceful warrior. That became my hashtag on everything peaceful because I was desperate for peace, but we were at war kicking cancer. And I, before every chemo treatment, I mean, you can probably picture this after watching me speak for a moment, but I stood in front of the chair I was about to get, and I would do this side, you know, this karate kick is best, kicking cancer today. And we were all laughing and just having such a great time doing, kicking it, you know, we're gonna do it today. I wasn't prepared for when all the treatment was over and the fight was over and then the scans take over fight was done. I'd done everything I knew to do. Here we are. I have scans, I have scans, I have scans. I have not perfected this quote yet, but it's as good as I can get it right now. I haven't nailed it, but I'm close. And it says this, I can't let the fear of what might happen keep me from living my best life while it's not happening. We cannot let the power of darkness trick us into becoming obsessed. Like somebody may be listening to this today going, you know, ah, oh, I can't even imagine losing a child. Don't go there. Don't let your mind go there. People ask me, are you afraid of one of your boys dying? I'm not, because I don't go there. I know if they do, I'm gonna lay on the floor, I'm gonna throw a really big fit. it'll take me a really long time, but I'm gonna get back up. And I'm gonna get back to doing what I know to do. But we can't let the fear of what's not happening yet, stifle us from doing what the Lord wants us to do today, experiencing his peace and his joy.
1: Man, that's so good. That's so rich in, in, on, on a lot of levels. you know. And I, I just think that this idea that if we're blessed because we are getting what we want out of life, and, and, and what that does to the people that are not and how they define themselves as blessed. And then the guilt and shame that that places on them, that, that there, there must be something wrong with them. That complicates the grieving process that complicates the wrestling with God process. God, what's wrong with me? There's so many layers to that, that we, we place on people. And I love how you're redefining that to say the blessing is the presence of God. Not what you get out of what you get out of life for, for all the things that you want to acquire for yourselves. That's not it because it can all go away like this. And um, I, I've been working on a quote too. This is not the, the the best frame, but it's a question. What's better to get everything we ever want in life or to walk with God and people when we don't, when we don't get what we want. Yes. Wow. And that we have people who will show up for us when things don't go our way. I think that's, that's the, the second part of the blessing that you have, you have the presence of God and you have the presence of people who are going to be there with you through the entire journey. We wanna take a moment and thank Wellspring Process Groups for sponsoring today's episode. Wellspring is an initiative Paul launched at the beginning of 2021 that provides people with a safe place to process the experiences they're facing in life. Whether you're going through challenges or transitions, or if you need a safe group of people to share life with for a season, we invite you to join a Wellspring Process Group. I've been in one of these groups and it's been a life-changing experience for me. I encourage you to go to the show notes right now and contact Wellspring to find out when you can join a process group for yourself.
0: I I wish I had a quote that I could quote right now, that I have, but I need to spend more time uh, thinking about uh, what I could say, but. I also wanted to highlight kind of where you were finishing up there, Beverly about the potential bad that could happen. And, and Kevin, I want to hear what you have to say about this too, because in season one, you were very vulnerable about your struggle with anxiety. And I feel like as you've even defined anxiety for us, it's, it's about the fear of what I might lose. It's a future projection of loss. And, and it's almost like that fears mixed with the grief of imagining the loss of the future. And I think so many people, whether they're in some pain right now, whether let's imagine the cancer journey, you've got a diagnosis and then it's the projection of what could happen next, or it's, it's the relational, uh, sort of, there's so many facets to what anxiety could look like. So, um, I just wanted to, could we just spend just a moment and say, you know, what does it look like? You, you said, I don't let myself go there, Beverly. And I think, and you mentioned capturing thoughts with, with God helping you capture thoughts. What, what does it look like to in that process to be tempted maybe to go to that place where I am fearing the future loss? and then something brings you back to the present and says, I'm gonna stick with this. This is my, it, it sounds like a, an act of faith, but I just wanna hear, I, I really wanna hear both of you guys and what your thoughts are on, on that and how, how you deal with anxiety.
2: Kevin, you want me to go or you wanna
1: go? Um, well, let's, let, why don't you go first?
2: You know, I know I said I don't go there, but obviously I did, you know, because I said if something should happen to one of my boys, this is my plan. So one way that I found to cope with uh, anxiety of the unknown is go ahead and be in, the, in that moment for just a second. Um, the Lord gave me so many gifts. He has given me so many gifts in my life. And one of those was when I found out I had cancer, I was working with a psychologist, not in a professional relationship. He was my friend and I was helping him through, we were talking through the death of his wife, a little bit older than me, but not much. And all of a sudden he switched on me, you know, we're not we're not doing a professional relationship. No, we're not. We're friends, we didn't exchange paperwork, no paperwork, no, no money, no, no. I mean, he went over all, it. no, we're just friends. We're talking on Zoom, he doesn't live next to me. And he said, I, what are you afraid of about your death? Tell me how you are with this cancer journey. I wanna talk to you about it. And I said, the stupidest thing, but it's so true. I said, my pictures aren't done. All my pictures are in boxes and my girls, meaning my daughters-in-law, aren't gonna know what to do with them if something happens. He said, let's get your pictures done. Let's think about it. So I've started working on that. I'm not done yet, but then he gave me this verse. See what you think about this. This is one of the things that I did. Um, It's just called Clinging to Scarred Hope, but it's just a little scripture binder. I put 24 verses in it about peace that bring me peace. And they were originally on index cards. I'm a former first grade teacher, so I always color code my index cards. You know, if they're about growth, they're in green. If they're about celebration, they're in red. If they're about peace, they're in blue. Well, all these were in green and blue, just so happened. And they're they're index cards that stayed on my mantle that I could grab at any time before a scan or before a test or before a big doctor visit that I was gonna get the results. They were very tear stained. They were very messed up. So I put them in a binder that now we give to clients and friends. This is the first verse in there. Second Corinthians 4, 17, 18, out of Eugene Peterson's work, The Message. Listen to this, listen to this. So we are not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside, for God is making new life not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. Not a day goes by without his unfolding grace, even if, even if, not a day goes by without God's grace in the moment. And so that verse being the first one, every morning I wake up, I've already done it this morning. God, where are you going to show me your grace today? What are you going to show me And then at night, the last thing I do before I start reading to fall asleep is I do a gratitude journal. And I try to make it as specific as possible because what the research is bearing pretty hard down on is gratitude, a practice, a discipline of gratitude. A discipline of gratitude is the pathway to joy. But that's not Christian research. That's just hardcore humanity research. I think we as Christians can make a great case for that. But I love it when the world also says, that's truth. That's, that's science, that's the way your brain's wired. And so looking for him, being with him, even when there's a preacher in Tulsa, Oklahoma, whose wife died right as I was starting my cancer journey. And T- Terry Rush is his name, his wife's name was Mary. And right before Mary died, 24 hours before she died, she said this, I thought it would be harder than this. Thought it would be harder than this, meaning sometimes we just we just lean into the peace of it, you know. Even when they're suffering, we lean into the peace of it. We're looking for the peace that truly, truly, truly passes understanding. It doesn't make sense. We can't we can't define it. It's just Holy Spirit definition that we're just swimming in depth. But there really can be a joy. It supersedes the suffering. It's what we were made to do. I mean, we're made to live. We fight for life. But we're also made to see the face of Jesus.
0: You know, when we interviewed uh, Kevin's sister-in-law, she talked about being a recipient of God's presence and grace. And it's, and I love that picture you said of like Niagara falls. And even when you're dealing with people that might be saying things that are hard to appreciate, um, that Niagara falls of grace washing over you, but it's a receptive posture. you you I don't hear you saying, think your way into peacefulness. It's, it's you're receiving something from the Lord and, but it, it is putting yourself in a place where you can receive it. And I think gratitude and, and entering his gates with thanksgiving, kind of that, go back to that verse, in, entering uh, into his presence with a heart that's open and receptive, full of gratitude, that peace uh, is there. And um, Kevin, how how have you
1: experienced that with anxiety? Yeah, so um, first of all, the stuff that Beverly just shared is is spot on, you know, in terms of how to help people work through anxiety, I think the the things that I started thinking about are um, there's a technique that I use with people and and Beverly's actually talked about it today she's she has said it a couple times, but i I have people change their what ifs to even ifs. So we process a what if is like what if this happens? It's kind of like being a kid with, an, with a monster in the closet that doesn't have a face. And the monster in the closet that doesn't have a face is a lot scarier than the one that does, right? And the one that you don't know it, what, what it could do to you. So we put a face on it and we talk about ways to, to engage it, ways to change how we see ourselves in relationship to that. So that that's one way to um, to deal with some of the anxiety that that people feel. Also, there are different things that people can do with uh, their techniques called thought stopping, where you get in a thought cycle or a thought loop, and you need ways to break that that cyclical thinking. Often, anxiety gets wrapped up in in just a um, a group of thoughts that you can't stop letting. Take control of your mind. Right. And so when that's happening, when that's cycling, there's not a lot of sense that's made of it. It just is connected to anxiety. So what if I die from cancer? You know, and and then there's like this ambiguous kind of nothingness out there. You know, there's nothing beyond that in your mind. It's just the thoughts themselves are washing over you with anxiety. So, thought stopping would be finding a way to break that thought pattern and bring yourself into the present moment. And, um, you know, there, there are things like counting backwards, five, four, three, two, one, even that fast, that can just stop the, the thought processes. And then asking yourself the question if you're afraid of something that you're facing, what if it all works out? Because the, the, the fear is connected to it not working out. Like, fear is connected to, it It going the worst possible place that we can imagine it. And so if we can just say by breaking that cycle with the with the five four three two one and insert a new thought or a new idea of possibility, then it can it can redirect our thinking. because, as you said earlier, ang- what anxiety is is a, and this is what Kurt Thompson has defined it as, and I, I love his definition of it. Um, anxiety is a projection into the future of possible realities that we will not be able to handle emotionally. So if you think about that, we're trying to imagine something. We are imagining something that we think we can't handle. And if, if we're, if we're playing that over and over and over again in our mind, it becomes a habit. It becomes a habit of thinking. And so especially when we're facing challenging moments, finding ways to stop that process from continuing on is tremendously important. That's why clinging to scripture and things that that deviate your thinking from where it is, right? It elevates you to a higher level. Those things are super important. Finding ways to remind yourself of something like, I'm not alone. Most anxiety, we picture ourselves isolated alone in the middle of something that's going to crush us. Reminding ourselves that we're not alone, that somebody will walk that with us. That's really important too. And and again, that that God is with us. Having a sense of his presence all the time is something that can help. But you know, uh, all this thought stopping stuff, everybody thinks it's new. But as far as I know, Paul is actually the first person to say it uh, in second Corinthians 10, five, he says, take every thought cap it captive. And this is exactly what he's talking about. So uh, science is just now telling us that it's actually true. It's legit. I'm glad you clarified. It was, it
0: was scripture and not, not me that said that originally, <laughs> although, you know, I am looking for that quote. So thank you.
1: <laughs> well, um, Yeah, I mean, I just appreciate the chance to kind of process these things. It's probably time for us to move towards wrapping it up. But I I do want to ask Beverly, as we're coming to the end here, if if there are people who are facing either loss or a life-threatening illness, what resources would you point them towards? What are some things that you think could be really helpful? Obviously, your book, uh, Scarred Hope, is one that I think would be tremendous for them. Are there any other things that they could access that you're aware of?
2: I think any support group is gonna be super helpful in your area. You might just wanna call a local church if you don't have a church family and find out. Grief Share is a great program. I have not done it myself, but I've heard great things about it. And so you can just go on their website and they'll tell you where one is close to you. Uh, I also think a counselor is going to be very helpful to give you some insight in ways to speak into your anxiety. Kevin the things you said just then were so powerful. And if we could flesh that out with you in our own appointments, you know that that's really good. That's good stuff. That's what we have to have is somebody what we're all looking for. I heard this the other day. We're not just looking not to die. We're looking to live lives of peace, and we want to know our lives matter. And I think to set our eyes on that and to know we're going to incorporate some moments into our day with peace. Listen to me clearly with this. I don't pray anymore for the Lord to give me peace because I believe he already has. It's, I pray that I will have the strength to open the eyes of my heart and to open the hands of my heart that I receive the peace he's already given me.
1: Mm, That's good.
2: My heart is just so big. It's not going to get me bigger. But when the Holy Spirit enters me, he gives me all that Galatians five stuff, love, peace, joy, kindness, patience. It's there. I just have to quiet my own voice that can sometimes be louder than the gifts of the spirit. And so it's just to set myself up with those activities that you just talked about, set myself up for peace. I've never been more aware of my own breath, breath patterns, just allowing my my breath, breathing him in, breathing him out, being aware of of his presence, uh, his awareness with that. So Mm -hmm. I would, a group, a person to speak it to somebody that doesn't judge you or that you don't feel judged by.
1: Yeah. One thing I would just say to that is, and I've said this before, but um, we are hardwired to scan our environment for threats every three seconds. And as we're looking for those, you know, that can create anxiety. But one of the things that breathing does is it tells our brain whether we should be scared or not. So if, so if we are breathing fast, then, uh, we are telling our brain that we are in danger. And we often breathe really fast when we are anxious. If we can slow our breathing down, it tells our brain that we are in a, in a state of safety, a state of peace. And that that's the thing, like when you are, it, when you are just l- walking through life by yourself and you're not having people who are reminding you of that specifically counselors or even a life coach or, you know, somebody that, um, you know, a group, something like that, you have other people to walk alongside with you. Um, even those small things, we don't realize how big of an impact that can have, but you're right. Setting yourself up, you're, your physical body, your emotional system, your spiritual system to receive peace is something that we can do. It's not, we're not powerless against that. We just may not know what the tools are to get there. So what, what other resources, is there anything else that you might
2: mention there? Well, let's go ahead and do a plug for podcast. I think those are helpful. You can do that when you're in the car, which is my goodness. It's those moments, washing dishes, watering the yard, in the car driving, where our minds can get a hold of us. And I think that's why podcasts are so popular right now. It's something we can do in the car that it doesn't just let my thoughts go random. It's focused when I know what podcast I want to listen to. I want to listen to one that's going to drive me to hope. I want to listen to one that gives me some good tools I can do. I think those are, So be aware of what's going in. Pay attention. You don't have to be a victim to your environment. Pay attention what you're thinking. What's like, I don't watch the news a lot. Now I keep up with the news on Twitter. I listen to what people tell me. I want to be an aware woman. But I found myself that wasn't blessing me. And so I want to really be aware of what's going into my mind that I'm thinking about all day long. We do have more control over our thoughts than we're aware of. I heard uh, listening to a book right now called Everyday Trauma. And it says, if we had any idea how powerful our negative thoughts are, we would stop thinking them. <laughs> I think that's really, you know, that's so. Bad. We would stop if we knew how much power and how many relationships have been destroyed just by negative thoughts.
0: Mm, wow. Another podcast. Uh, body-
2: A whole nother time. (laughs)
0: It it is. There's so many things that you've said. I keep myself on mute a lot, but I'm like clapping on the inside and just like, hey man, like I need to write this down. So I'm gonna go back and like write down all the amazing things that I just heard. Um Beverly, it has been so good and such a joy to have you on this podcast and I just feel really honored to be able to sit with you and hear your story and then and glean wisdom uh, from all that you've shared. And so I know there's so much more that we could say, but I just want to appreciate um, how much this means that you spent some time with us this morning.
1: Yeah, I feel really full after our conversation.
2: It has been I'll use the word blessing to be with both of you. I've loved the times that we got to spend preparing for this. And I always walked away exactly what you just said. I always walked away from our conversations, feeling very full and uh, full of gratitude. Kevin, the first time I met you at that little football game, you know, definitely was in my gratitude journal that night. And this moment I want both of you to know will be in my gratitude journal tonight. I have just really, the questions that you asked made me think and I'm very grateful to have shared this time with you.
1: Thank you, Beverly. Thank yeah.
0: you. And I just encourage our listeners, if, if some of, or even a part or the whole of this conversation has connected with where you're at, if you have questions, if you have something that you're wrestling with, um, or, or just if you, if you want to know more about something, I just really encourage you to reach out Uh, to Kevin and I through look at the notes on this episode and we'll give you an email address that you can use to contact us. We really wanna hear what is resonating with you and we wanna hear what questions you have and to be able to uh, have conversation around that. So please reach out to us. And so wherever you're at, again, when you hear this episode, just remember you are not alone. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please remember to like and follow the podcast on whatever service you're using. And if Creative for Connection has been helpful to you, we'd love you to share this podcast with your community. Check out our show notes as well for helpful links and resources. And we'd love to get your feedback and questions. Use the email address cforconnection at gmail.com. You'll find that in the show notes too. We'll see you next time.